0: <gasps> Hi, Sandy. I'm not sure what it is, but something seems different about me. Yeah, me too. Hey, what are you doing with my hand? What what am I doing with your hand? Ah, this, what is this? We're all mixed up together. This is horrible! Welcome aboard to the most porous podcast you're going to find along your travels of the tubes of the internet. I'm ready, a Spongebob Squarecast, and it's a pleasure to welcome you aboard. My name's Captain Eric, and this episode is releasing right before the Christmas season. Or, I mean, we're in the middle of the Christmas season. This episode is releasing right before the Christmas holiday, the day of Christmas. And I think we are also in the middle of Hanukkah. So... For those of you out there celebrating Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus, anything out there that you can celebrate around this holiday season, whatever traditions you have, I hope you're having a merry, happy, joyful, relaxing one. That's from the captain to all of you on the Ready Crew. I hope it's a a good one. I hope you get to see some family, some friends, do something fun, something out of the ordinary, something traditional that you do around this holiday season, even if it's nothing. If you are someone that goes, every year I I do nothing. I sit in my my chair and I watch movies or I play games. Hey, I I hope it's just a, a good day for you. Straight from the captain. As far as my Christmas traditions are concerned, very few. But there is one that involves SpongeBob. As I don't think I could go one Christmas season for the rest of my life without at least watching... the the Spongebob Christmas special, the first one, or hearing Very First Christmas at some point. It just feels like that alongside the Hey Arnold Christmas special, if I didn't have that on while I was wrapping gifts, decorating the house, uh, having friends over, and we were having a Christmas party, any reason to have some sort of Christmas special on the television, even watching something before bed, it's traditional for me. So... If you have any sort of holiday traditions that involve Spongebob, especially if anybody out there has any of those blow-up, inflatable Spongebobs on their uh, on their lawns, I, I hope it, it stays out there all season long. I had one one year, and it was stolen. Can you believe that? Someone stealing treasure from the captain. Unbelievable. And I'm sure that happens everywhere with different inflatables and different lawn decorations. Just people going... I want this more. this is mine, and taking it, and just being an absolute Grinch during the holiday season. Like, if you want something so badly on your lawn, either buy it or make it. It's that simple. Right after Christmas, we, of course, have a new year upon us, 2023, which is incredibly exciting. I have a lot to share with you, and not just share intangible information, to actually share with you concrete information as far as what is going to be happening with Captain Eric on YouTube and with solid dates that you should prepare for. So stay tuned for an extra episode that'll drop across all feeds on YouTube on this week in Nickelodeon history. If you subscribe to that podcast onto this one, it'll it'll be a simultaneous release of, of this one extra episode. And now that we are coming to, one full circle of a new year. The the meaning of this whole full circle really came into play when I started this week's episode. And let me tell you, I truly did not plan for this to happen when I recorded the first episode for Season 4, Fear of a Krabby Patty. I I knew of Season 4, but I completely forgot that while I went into detail over a certain movie and its its cause of one of my greatest fears, two of my greatest fears, actually, that I, I delved into in that episode, and that those movies that I referenced would then come back in an extremely in-your-face way later in the season. And if I remembered in that moment, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to touch upon this later in the season— it was like a, a pin it and I forgot about it on on the wall of Pepe Sylvia. I when I came back and watched this episode again and I remembered, oh, yeah, this is a, a bit of a homage to a certain movie that I will talk about in a second. It clicked in my head. Oh, my goodness. I went over this episode. I went over this movie in great detail in the first episode for season four. This is a a nice little roundabout, you know, referential full circle moment here for the podcast. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, if this is your first time listening to me, I'll get you up to speed. Episode 133 of I'm Ready is about fear of a Krabby Patty, and in that episode, I, I went into my fears, my rational fears, my irrational fears, not all of them. I didn't really spill the tea on everything. But if anything, I spilt the tea on on two of the biggest things that, that give me the most anxiety and fear. And they came from a movie, an old sci-fi movie, which is the basis of this week's episode, Squid Bob Tentacle Pants. And so I don't want to spoil everything here, but... I'm going to be going into everything, so I'm going to be re-going over my fears in this episode, so once again, if you have any sort of discomfort of certain uh, uh, fears, I will warn you ahead of time and and give you a moment's notice to uh, skip ahead if you'd like, but We'll go over it a little bit. It, of course, is not going to take up a whole chunk of this episode. It'll be really a TLDR of an explanation, really for the movies that are the basis for today's episode. Squid Bob Tentacle Pants. And after following Patrick Smart Pants, I'm sure it had to have been planned to put these two episodes side by side, and I absolutely love that. It's the second half of the 68th episode of SpongeBob, and it first premiered on November 4th, 2005. It was storyboard-directed by Zeus, Service, and Eric Weiss, who also wrote it alongside Stephen Banks. Our animation director is Alan Smart, our technical director is Vincent Waller, and our supervising producer is Paul Tibbet. It's the most exciting thing that's happened to me in years. Another reason to quickly celebrate, I want to give a shout-out to Eric Weiss, and his brand new show, Sonic Prime, dropping on Netflix and immediately making a statement. If you are a fan of Sonic the Hedgehog, who for, for Captain Eric is the first fictional character I can remember, my first thought of consciousness is playing Sonic the Hedgehog on the Sega Genesis, on an old tube TV, on the basement floor, in my old childhood home, a duplex... On a concrete floor with a rug. And Sonic the Hedgehog. Just, ah, uh, so many memories. So, I love that Eric has worked on both Spongebob Squarepants and now Sonic the Hedgehog. So, if you have Netflix, this is not an ad for Netflix whatsoever. But if you happen to have Netflix, check out Sonic Prime. Even if you're not a Sonic the Hedgehog fan, no better reason to start than I'd, I'd say Sonic Prime at this point. That or Sonic Frontiers, if you happen to be into a uh, a video game mood. That or Sonic Mania. All right, Sonic Mania, Sonic Frontiers, Sonic Prime. That sounds like a great night. You can have the TV show on. You can be playing the game. You can have another friend over playing the other game. Boom. There you go. Sonic Mania, which uh, is the name of the game. Uh, Anyway, congratulations, Eric, on the release and uh, it, it's been wonderful interacting with you on social media. Uh, thank you for for opening up any of the information you have. Any of the animators on Twitter who decide to open up their their information for the masses. they They have my my greatest admiration. I, I absolutely love that. So congratulations, Eric, on the release. Squid Bob tentacle pants. All right, let's get into this. Now, the entire point of this episode, is a reference to a classic 1958 sci-fi movie, The Fly. I don't want to just say it's a it's a sci-fi movie. It is a horror film. But it's a 50s horror film, so, you know, it's not as hardcore as anything coming out today, and, and certainly I, I could say that it's more approachable for general audiences than its 1986 remake, which I will touch upon. But the original 1958 movie, as I, I mentioned in episode 133, I had caught on VHS at a very young age at my grandmother's house, who I, I was at for a lot of my childhood due to my mother working third shift at the post office and um, not, you know, really having anywhere else to go. My grandmother was a, a safe haven and at her home, my aunt had an entire collection of VHS tapes of movies and events that she had recorded from premium channels on VHS. And then on the, the labels of the tapes, there would be the movie on it and then the year. And so you would just get a random assortment. You know, sometimes it would be like weekend at Bernie's for the first half of the tape, and then it would go into Poltergeist. It would just be random. And then she would have, like, sometimes boxing events. And so, left to my own devices, if if no one was really watching me intensely, if my grandmother was doing yard work outside, I was popping in whatever tape I wanted. And uh, The Fly from 1958 came came across my radar one day. What is The Fly? And I watched this movie in which, as the movie opens... You come across a scientist that is crushed inside of a hydraulic press and the police who come across his his body and then question his wife who admits to being the one who helped facilitate his death but will not open up as far as to what the circumstances are. And as the police, you know, keep going and going, eventually they convince her to tell them what happened. And what happens is that her husband, the scientist from the beginning, created the ability to transport matter from one side of the room to another in these pods. And up to this point, he has successfully been able to transport small objects, and during one overzealous day when he decides, well, it's time for human testing, jumps into a pod At the same time that a fly gets in there without him knowing, and when they end up on the other side, the fly and the man have swapped heads and left arms, and I I think have at least kept their their brains for the most part. Or I think they make it seem that as the movie goes on, the, the brain of the person inside or the head inside is slowly taking over, so maybe by the end we'll get there. But as, as the wife comes down to her husband, she doesn't necessarily see him at first. He's draped over this, this, uh, this cover over his head. And the big money shot of the entire movie is when she takes off the cover and you see this big, realistic, prosthetic fly head on this man. And for the time, for the time in the 50s, that is incredible work. It stands up and it's still a little creepy looking and through his limited means of communication, gets out the message that they need to find the fly with his head and arm so that they can go back through the pods and reverse this issue. But as the movie goes on, they can't get the fly, and the fly part of the the head and the arm, I guess, starts taking over, and the will of the man starts depleting, and in his last moments is able to still will the the body enough to this hydraulic press somewhere else in town and convinces his wife to to pull the lever to end his life at, at his choice. And of course the police have no means of believing this woman whatsoever and arrest her for murder as the cops go outside and this is the traumatic moment for old Captain Eric here is that the cops go out, sit on a bench, and notice, and if you are someone who deals with arachnophobia in any way, I would certainly skip ahead of this episode, maybe like a minute or so. But the cops notice a cobweb right next to the the bench, and they start hearing the shouts of, Help me! Help me! And they notice the fly with the human head inside of the cobweb, all wrapped up, And at this point, I'm not sure if the scientist is in full sanity in that moment or if it's the fly. But either way, a spider is slowly making its way to its new supper. And the shots of this spider, it's not necessarily the most detailed looking spider. And they didn't do one of those things where they they took a small spider and just made it look big for whatever set they had. They built a fake spider prop. That at least was realistic enough for the set and for the idea of just a spider of that size coming at you, coming at a human. It it scared the daylights out of me. The cops intervene right as the spider gets to the fly. They they take a rock and they just smash everything and claim the scientist's death as something else so that his wife could be released and not be the one held responsible for his death. And after watching that movie, I wasn't necessarily afraid of your ordinary house spider, but the larger the spider out there, yeah. Yeah. The more afraid I got. Just all from that movie. And then the idea of being swallowed by an animal of that size came from that movie, too. So, all in all, The Fly, 1958 still an effective movie for me it still holds up in some way in story, effects and the effect it can leave you with and this entire episode of Spongebob Squarepants I know I just delved a lot into the fly but this episode of Squid Bob Tentacle Pants takes heavily from that 1958 film but they also weave in some elements from the 1986 remake which We will get into later. As the episode opens up, we are gifted something that I really wish we got to see more of, and that's Squidward's actual dreams. Now, Squidward has no problem telling us or even talking to himself about his hopes, his dreams, his desires in the world, what he thinks how things should be. And we don't get to necessarily look into what his psyche is is building up for him. He has an ego, and sometimes we get to see what he shows off to the public and on stage, but we don't get to see what goes on in his mind very often. The last time was, of course, SpongeBob diving into everybody's dreams, and Squidward was performing his clarinet for a king of some sort. That That was his dream, was being such a prized musician that they're at the request of royalty and if we fast forward to his dreams today in this episode he has transformed himself into almost a Kenny G style musician I'm not going to deny that that hair doesn't doesn't remind me immediately of Kenny G and of course with the style of instrument that Squidward plays but he is playing the clarinet to the highest degree to an entire concert of women who body surf him and sing his praises. This is what Squidward wants now. It's not just to be a respected musician to both high society and royalty, but now he is dreaming about being a rock star. How do you take the clarinet and turn it up to 11? Just take a look into Squidward's dreams and you'll find out. As he's woken up, by his alarm clock, at least it's not Spongebob this time. Which I think was by design to just show that even without Spongebob, Squidward can still wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Although his, um, his self-image talk in the mirror is certainly admirable. I, I really couldn't look at myself in the mirror with a straight face and say, hello gorgeous, or call myself gorgeous in that manner. Squidward, Squidward has it down. He has it stacked. Hello, gorgeous. So before he exits his house, he does prep himself for the day, but there is something to be excited about than he would find on his normal, ordinary day going to the Krusty Krab. You see, in about a day or so, Squidward has a recital for his clarinet that he's going to be performing. And you know how Squidward is. Every little rung on his ladder of success is going to be the one. This is it. This is going to be the one that propels me to stardom every single time. You got to respect his optimism. If more people had that optimism and confidence along with their talent, they would reach heights that that they're dreaming of. But you, you got to meet that, that cross section. That's important. You got to be confident. It's one thing to have the talent, but you gotta you gotta know to back it up. Squidward has confidence in spades to a detriment. And in some ways, it's admirable to put yourself in circumstances. Not that you know you're going to fail, but that, hey, sometimes you have to jump without a net. You gotta put yourself out there. And Squidward certainly does that, but as as we later see in this episode it's 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 a level of confidence that's blinding you know he needs to to start slow and work his way up and and what we get is just certainly an adventure hopefully an eye-opening adventure for squidward but as the day goes on he exits his door with this just blooming presence about himself there's nothing that could phase him he is going about his business, he's got a recital coming up, and Spongebob is not going to ruin his day whatsoever. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Before heading off to the Krusty Krab, Spongebob decides to visit Sandy, who has decided to build a new machine, a matter transporter. Which, by the way, before we... Before we dive into what this matter transporter is or what it looks like, let me just say that I've noticed some people online mentioning, you know, Sandy's turn here of, of a more of a scientific character over the course of the later seasons, and I, I see that. I, I notice what you're saying, but Sandy's always been really scientific and, as far as I know, is behind most, if not all, of what you see around her. I know that later in the season we get more of an explanation as to where she gets the money or the funding for all of this stuff. They they finally explain that part of, of Sandy's existence here in Bikini Bottom. But as far as the Tree Dome is concerned, her suit, and of course any of the inventions that we see her create throughout the series. Her whole purpose of being in this environment is to create inventions. That's what she was able to sell on her premise of being underwater, to be here in the first place. We eventually find more about that out in a few episodes from now, but, you know, to bring up that Sandy is just being more scientific, to me it's just Sandy is being more of herself. And there are certainly times that I feel in the future that are valid that the writers and those working behind the scenes may have forgotten other aspects of Sandy or have only just put focus on the fact that she's incredibly smart and that's it. And we'll get to those moments. We'll cross those bridges when we get there. There are episodes I have in mind, but this isn't one of them. This is certainly just to me, an episode that feels right in place of Sandy creating something that could lead to a problem in the episode, which is, is what we have. Although it's not a problem at first, it only becomes one as Sandy has been working on what is known as her matter transporter. And the pod of this, it's a single pod that is outside, it's devoid of any hookup to any other machine. This pod is very much in design of the pod used in the 1986 remake of The Fly, which you don't even need to watch that movie to know what I'm talking about. You could just look at the poster of that film and see the pod that, that I'm referencing and go, oh yeah, they were definitely looking at at that one when they were designing uh, the Matter Transporter here. And I can only say, if you have ever heard the word Cronenberg and you have any idea on what that means, then you know what kind of experience you are in for. Uh, this, this remake of The Fly, though, I will say, if you were around Captain Eric and you complain about remakes or sequels, Oh, there's no original films anymore. I will turn to you and unleash a mouthful. This film is one of the remakes I'm going to bring up as if you're just going to down the existence of a remake, then you're taking away films like this, which take an idea, take the same concept, but build off of it in a different way. You still have a man getting in a pod with a fly but instead of swapping body parts with this fly, our scientist, played wonderfully by Jeff Goldblum, slowly transforms into a fly-like creature. A tragic love story of a man losing his, his life, his sanity, and transforming in, into this creature. It's an incredibly dark and tragic story with some of the best effects you will ever see in a film. They are grotesque, disgusting, and there's a reason why Cronenberg, as the last name of the director, David Cronenberg, has become a statement for something if it is of that type. There's, there's a reason for that, and that remake is is a part of it. Now, the aspects of that film are brought in in two parts of this episode. Part one being the design of the pod. It's certainly a nice little homage to, to this uh, pod that was used in, in the 1986 remake. And it's a similar idea of, of matter transport, of putting something in the machine and Sandy being able to transport that item to seemingly any place of her choosing. There's no indication as to how she's able to control where it goes But when she shows off the machine to SpongeBob, she transports an apple to the desk of Mrs. Puff, and it works. The machine is is fantastic. SpongeBob inquires, which I don't know why he would even come and visit Sandy if he was going to make himself late to work. But now that he has visited her, he is running late to work. Could you transport me to the Krusty Krab? Sandy has never tried this machine on any person before, any living creature And she deems it safe enough that it it will work. And it does, in fact, transport SpongeBob to the Krusty Krab. Unluckily for Squidward, though, at the same time that he was reaching for the door of the Krusty Krab, SpongeBob uh, came into form, into existence, around his arm. Now fusing the two together, and for some reason, Sandy's machine decides to pull back... The item it just transported being Spongebob, who is now attached to Squidward. The two of them are now being transported, their molecules being fused into one another. And as they walk back out of Sandy's machine, we get a look at what is to be known as Squid Bob Tentacle Pants. Which, I mean, I'm, I'm going to call them that. But a, an amalgamation of Spongebob and Squidward. SpongeBob is the main portion of the body, and he still has his right arm intact and his left leg. But his right leg has been replaced by two of Squidward's tentacles. His left arm has been replaced with Squidward's left hand, which I got to imagine is a nice little reference to the fly being, I believe it's the left hand of the scientist that gets, a. Uh, that gets changed over to the fly's hand so it's this it's this big tentacle that SpongeBob now has and then Squidward's head is now sprouting out of the right side of SpongeBob's head he also has control of SpongeBob's right hand which is is the one that is SpongeBob's hand and SpongeBob has control over Squidward's tentacle i'm not really sure how their legs work but these two are in tandem they are now fused together and the scariest part about this is the fact that Sandy, the, the genius here in this situation, actually at first has no idea on on what to do. And if you put yourself in that situation where someone who is supposed to be the expert, you find yourself in, in some sort of, of predicament and they go, I, I have nothing. Which has to be an extremely frustrating and scary situation no matter who you are. If you are dealing with someone who is supposed to be an expert and they can't help you, that has to be that feeling of just being up the creek without a paddle. Being completely lost. Being at a dead end. And Squidward, what started out in this episode with a dream, ended up being his nightmare. What could be a worse situation for Squidward than being physically attached to Spongebob, not being able to leave his side. And Spongebob is as happy as can be. He's attached to his best friend. They can do all these cool things together now, be with each other forever, and Squidward doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He is pleading to Sandy, there's got to be something you can do. And she tries the most logical thing that I can think of, which would be to just send them back through the transporter a few times, and to see what happens, if they can come back completely separated. And what we get instead of that happening is is just as beautiful, which is a montage of, of some pretty darkly comedic moments that this SpongeBob Squidward creature could pop up just at a moment's notice in on. The first of which being at Bikini Bottom Elementary, where it's Timmy's birthday... And Timmy is getting a gift, of course, the shock of his life being uh, a nice little blob of Squidward and SpongeBob inside of the gift he is opening up. They get transported next into the hospital where we are introducing a mother to her newborn baby, the SquidBob tentacle monster, which is just another beautifully darkly comedic moment of this episode the third place they go to is not as dark and is certainly the most cartoonish of the episode, but we actually get to see an alien planet of some sort and an alien monster trying to woo his way onto another alien before Spongebob and Squidward make their way into their presence before they are immediately sucked back in through the transporter and they they give up. There's no use It seems like this method of trying to separate the two characters is not working. Sandy admits that she does have a device in the embryonic stages that could remedy this situation, but it's it's nowhere near being completed, but Squidward pleads with her. Sandy, I have a recital. I can't be on stage with SpongeBob. This is a big moment for me. You have to separate us. And this pressure that he puts on Sandy... That, with her confidence, gives her enough time that she feels like, from her original idea and how long it would take to get this device done, that she thinks she's able to get it in, in enough time to have them separated before he heads out on stage for his recital. But for the time being, they're just going to have to go about their business, go to work, go home, wait the day or so before Sandy could get this machine done. It is commendable of them to try and ride a bike to the Krusty Krab with how each of them have half of the control of the body compared to the other. It's it's certainly something I wouldn't want to try in tandem with someone else. But they try, crash into the Krusty Krab, which of course alerts Mr. Krabs right to the kitchen and notices the amalgamation of SpongeBob and Squidward. And of course Mr. Krabs is not even phased at this development, and just tells the two to get to work. Get to your stations and get to work. Now, at first, that doesn't seem like it can be that hard as Squidward is able to pull himself through the order window and up to the cash register to take an order. SpongeBob is, you know, able to then cook the patties right on the grill there, which, by the way, using Squidward's left tentacle, SpongeBob is going to make that arm produce the best Krabby Patties of its life. Because we know Squidward is absolutely terrible when it comes to the, uh, the grill of the Krusty Krab. But under SpongeBob's control, it's actually doing a pretty good job. Unfortunately, the other aspects of building a Krabby Patty are on the other side of the kitchen. And instead of Squidward just coming back into the kitchen to help SpongeBob construct the Krabby Patty for the one customer out there, it's not like he's taking more orders, SpongeBob struggles to try to get to the other side of the kitchen with Squidward just hanging on and just causing such a massive mess in the Krusty Krab kitchen. It actually reminds me of the Matt Damon-Greg Kinnear movie Stuck on You with uh, two Siamese brothers attached basically at the hip to one another who work in a fast food restaurant with one of the brothers aspiring to become an actor and uh, acts upon those dreams throughout the movie which is just a nice little interesting Side note here, to, to have a movie with the Siamese twins at a fast food establishment dreaming of of bigger things and entertainment. Then you have uh, Squid Bob tentacle pants here uh, stuck together in a fast food restaurant with one of them dreaming of aspirations beyond the means of, of fast food. Just a nice little connection here. Mr. Krabs, though, kicks him out. I don't know why he couldn't just have... SpongeBob and Squidward in the kitchen. Hey, you guys, make the Krabby Patties. I'll take the orders and and work in the front. That alleviates any of the issues that they just caused, and you still have help throughout the day at your business. But Mr. Krabs, I guess, is okay with just managing the register and the grill at the same time, which, if that's the case, why does he need extra help in the first place? If Mr. Krabs is able to keep the Krusty Krab... Going with just himself, what's the point of paying anyone else to come in and do it? But, I mean, Spongebob produces Krabby Patties faster and better than anyone else out there in the sea. So, I, I can understand at least having Spongebob there. That's what I'm saying. Why why kick the Spongebob aspect out when it really is Squidward holding on to things and, and causing Spongebob not being able to make the Krabby Patties? That is the problem. But, he kicks them both out and says, come back when you're separated, and sends them out of the Krusty Krab. On their way home, they are given some props by a surfer guy who notices this freaky-looking dude and and gives them some, some words of encouragement. But, of course, it's not enough to really deter uh, the, the depression that Squidward is feeling in this moment. And as they arrive at their homes, they decide to silently just go into each other's homes. They go home. Squidward and his head head over into the Easter Island head, and SpongeBob goes into the pineapple, stretching out their body. And in some weird fashion, uh, Squidward's tentacle, which we are told that SpongeBob has full control over, goes into the Easter Island head with the Squidward head and neck, and the SpongeBob hand that Squidward has control over heads over into the pineapple. I don't know, there's a bit of a confusion there. But what's not confusing is this beautiful homage to CatDog that I I refuse to believe otherwise with the fact that Eric Weiss, our storyboard director and writer, had also worked on CatDog, designing backgrounds and characters. And we have this stretched-out character between these two homes then bringing the homes together and reminding me so much of CatDog's home, of the bone and the fish combined as one, where we have the Easter Island head and the and the pineapple fused together. And it's a nice little beautiful shot. It's not dwelled on. The two characters, I'm sure, are just happy to be alone from one another for a moment. I'm sure at least Squidward is. SpongeBob, I, I'm sure, would rather have Squidward sleeping over and hanging out, having late night fun and activities, but maybe he's exhausted from from Squidward at this point. He's never really had the access or the ability to have Squidward around so much. So it it could be for him, hey, let's have a break for this moment in time. The next day comes around and we find ourselves at the Bikini Bottom Community Recreation Center where it's not just a show happening where there's a collection of members of the community playing different instruments. No, no, this is a solo show for Squidward. He's promoted on the outside of the building and the crowd coming in is impressive for what I'm sure is just being told around town as a clarinet recital. But maybe the fish underwater are starving for any entertainment. So if anyone has the cojones to go on stage and play an instrument, everybody wants to see it. And maybe that's how it works in town where if you have the talent and the means to get up on a stage and perform, You'll drive a crowd to watch you. They want to see someone either embarrass themselves or showcase some real talent. We've seen many times in the past many events in the Krusty Krab being able to draw an impressive amount of people. But this is even beyond me. This is like the entire town of Bikini Bottom coming out to watch Squidward. And this is the detriment of Squidward's confidence. He's not that good at the clarinet. And of course he deems himself as some sort of musical savant, this artistic genius that is untouchable, but you have to have some sort of reality of your skills in performing in front of a live crowd. For Squidward to have the abilities that he has and to still openly book this gig and get this crowd out there, there is some bit of an impressiveness to his optimism But at some point, you have to go, what are you thinking? What is going on here? And the clock is ticking. Sandy is nowhere to be found, and it's time for Squidward to go out and perform. And before they go out, they make the decision to wear a giant overcoat with a Phantom of the Opera kind of feeling to it, of of this creature coming out and playing this instrument. And the sound of the clarinet mixed with the look of Squidward is making the entire crowd uncomfortable, yet they can't keep their eyes off of what is happening in front of them. They, they're not sure as far as what to make, as far as Squidward's performance, and as they're walking on the stage, the cape or overcoat that they're wearing gets caught in a nail, gets pulled off and reveals this, this creature, this amalgam of these two characters... In front of everybody, Spongebob and Squidward. Silence deafens the room. There's a gasp, followed by silence. And then that surfer guy from earlier, who cheered on Spongebob and Squidward on the street for no reason, just decided to cheer these guys, give them a compliment, decides to do it yet again. Rock on, freaky dude. And after this guy cheers, the entire crowd gets behind Squid Bob tentacle pants and Squidward says he feels like a superstar. This is the feeling he's been dreaming of the smell, the taste the look, the sound of being beloved by everybody Now, he has felt this once before in the episode Band Geeks in season 2 where by the end he did get to have an intense moment of accomplishment as well as the feeling of sweet sweet victory but here it's just having a crowd, having them applauding your skills and showering you with love. It's a feeling that Squidward doesn't get often, so he's, he's soaking in this moment, and he's actually able to soak in a little bit because he now is half sponge. <laughs> the cheering and the love from the crowd in this moment have nothing to do with Squidward's clarinet skills, but it comes from that notion that if you are someone out there that may have an impediment in front of you in some way, whether it be physical or otherwise, and you have the confidence to show off the skills that you bring to the table, I, I think that always deserves a round of applause and admiration when you can still show the world the things you're able to accomplish. And there's an entire new level to that if you're able to get in front of people, in front of a crowd and perform what you're able to do, whether it be sing or dance or, or ventriloquism or some sort of gymnastics, uh, comedy, music, especially in this case. I think we are just naturally drawn to cheer on those who life you may think gave them a rough deal, the wrong hand, but nope, it's not stopping them from performing, from entertaining, from making art in the world. And it's always an incredible story to watch. And it's, it's not crazy that this crowd, regardless on how good or bad Squidward is at the clarinet, that he would just be cheered for having the courage. Hey, you were able to come on stage with this issue going on with you and Spongebob and still perform. That deserves to be cheered. I'm glad that Squidward was able to feel this in this moment. All of a sudden, Sandy barges into the room with her molecular separator ray, and as SpongeBob and Squidward are pleading for her not to initially shoot them and separate them, because in this moment they're they're getting all this admiration from this crowd, so I think they want to milk that out a little bit longer, Sandy zaps them and immediately separates the two characters. Squidward Tentacles and SpongeBob SquarePants are back to being themselves, with Squidward now feeling that he has won the crowd over enough so that he can continue... His recital and is now going to face the reality of what was always going to happen if he was going to go out there solo, not being attached to SpongeBob. And it's that he's not that good and the crowd is not going to be really interested in sitting down and listening to someone who is clearly not gaining the skills enough of the clarinet to be performing publicly, you know? Why would you sit there and waste your time? Everybody in town knows that Squidward has been playing his clarinet for years, and probably maybe this crowd out of pure curiosity of what Squidward could possibly be bringing to the table in announcing a concert of this size, you know? I I got to imagine that there's people reading about Squidward putting on a clarinet recital going, Hey, honey! You know that guy down on Con Street who plays the clarinet terribly? Yeah, he's playing at the rec center this Friday. We gotta go! Just to see. Just to see what what is going to happen on that stage. But in the end, Squidward, of course, plays the clarinet terribly. And the crowd leaves the rec center. With the only remaining characters in the room being all of the main characters. Plus... Mrs. Puff and Larry the Lobster also hanging around to support Squidward and Spongebob. Out of the frustration over losing this crowd, and the means to his road to superstardom, Squidward grabs the device from Sandy, and even after her pleas not to mess with the device, Squidward starts pressing buttons and the device goes haywire, zapping everybody in the room, before we cut to a therapist Talking to Squidward, who is on the chair, and attached to him is another reference to old Cronenberg here, that second part. Don't think I, I left you hanging. I, I always circle back to things. But that second reference to Cronenberg's The Fly is is right here in the end of this episode, where we get Squidward on the therapist's couch, but attached to him is this giant amalgamation, this giant... Cronenbergian mess of characters. We can see little bits of Spongebob, Patrick, Sandy, Mr. Krabs, Pearl, Mrs. Puff, and what appears to be the eyeball of Larry the Lobster, or another character who may have been sucked into this creature, but this grotesque ending of this episode is a nice little gross bow on top of Squidward's whole predicament of wanting to be a star, and now he finds himself as freaky as can be along with these other characters in a truly grotesque way that has been censored around the world. There are reports of the ending of this episode being edited or in some cases being completely cut out of the episode in certain countries if the television network or the cable provider themselves deem it inappropriate for wherever it's airing in the world. So there are reports of it happening. If you have never seen the correct ending of this episode, I can only implore you to do your due diligence to find yourself the correct ending so you can enjoy yourself. The proper Cronenbergian ending of Squid Bob, Tentacle Pants, which is an episode of Spongebob that leans very much into the sci-fi territory. And out of all of the sci-fi episodes of Spongebob, This one ranks among some of the best. So I I can't recommend this episode enough if you have never seen it. And when it comes to both aforementioned fly movies, since they weaved themselves so beautifully into this episode, if you can watch older 50s, 60s horror movies and you enjoy those those sci-fi aesthetics, I can't recommend that first one enough. As far as the remake... I can only recommend that if you say you enjoy horror movies, if you enjoy realistic, I would say gory special effects at times, you can certainly do your own research. Both movies I would say are rated R, so if you are under the age of 17, I I can't advise you to watch these. If you're over the age of 17, just do some research, see if you would enjoy them and I'm sure you can find them in a multitude of different ways, but the fly movies are among many other horror movies that we can point to that have inspired scenes and jokes or even episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants. So just add this one onto the pile and, and we're going to keep going through more of them as we go on. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the SquareCast. It's not our final episode of the year. We'll celebrate 2022 on next week's episode of the show. Uh, But for this one, please, if you have any holiday you're celebrating for this season, I hope it's a relaxing, enjoyable one. For all of you out there on the Ready Crew, I hope it's a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a Happy Kwanzaa, a Merry Festivus. And make sure you keep those fragile leg lamps hanging lit up in the front of your house as they should. Don't hide them in the back. Don't be a wuss out there. If you would like to write into the captain, any SpongeBob questions, suggestions, if you have anything you'd like me to read out on the show, you can do so. SpongePod, P-O-D, podcast at gmail.com. Podcast at gmail.com is your one-stop email for everything Captain Eric. Please listen to my other podcast this week in Nickelodeon history, dropping every Sunday on YouTube with... This show now dropping simultaneously on all podcast networks and YouTube on the same day, with the video version of the podcast also releasing through Spotify. So if you happen to listen to the podcast on Spotify, the video version is there as well as the audio version. And I know video is in very light air quotes, but it's just some extra flair for you to to have in your experience as you're listening to Captain Eric. And as I go on, those are just going to evolve, so please stay tuned for more. Speaking of which, please subscribe to the Captain Eric YouTube channel that is in the podcast description below, as well as all of the links to my social media, my Twitter, my Instagram, and if you would like to go the extra mile as a member of the Ready Crew, head over to that red bubble link where you can find... Logos of all of the projects that I currently have with more art dropping soon that you can put on a multitude of different products, including stickers, hats, shirts. The choice is all up to you. However you want to support Captain Eric, anything that comes in through my projects, go directly back into my projects. And as always, it's always appreciated. I love you guys. Please stay safe out there. Be kind to one another and come aboard again next week to another episode of... I'm ready! A SpongePod Squarecast. So, what seems to be the problem, Mr. Tentacles? It all started when I was born. <laughs>